Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest community, I'm so excited to have Phil Fiore on this episode of DealQuest. Phil's a good friend and client. He is the co-founder and CEO of Procyon Partners. He's been in the Wall Street wealth management financial services space for over 28 years. And we helped, unfortunately, launch Procyon Partners a little over five years ago. Phil, I mean, you'll you'll see his full bio on the uh, on the site, I mean, the awards, the boards, the, you know, charity, you know, he's just an amazing, amazing guy. And it's been just a great friend and client. Phil, I'm so happy to have you on the DealQuest podcast. Corey, it is so great to be here. And thank you uh, very much for, for the invite. And I look forward to this conversation. This is fun. So thank you very much. Yeah. So, so you know, I want to talk about just, you know, the deals that you've done and what you're looking to do and all that kind of stuff. But before we go there, I want to take you back, way back when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is the co-founder and CEO and wealth management firm uh, probably wasn't it back then, but you tell me. I'm not sure I knew what a wealth management firm was back then, <laughs> to be honest, really, right? You know, listen, uh, I grew up with an off-the-boat Italian family. Uh, my dad created the PAL Soccer League in Danbury, Connecticut. Wow. And so I really thought that soccer was my future. I really did. Well, when I, when I got out of college, unfortunately, professional soccer wasn't here. You had to go to Europe. Right. Like I like today where they have a proper MLS. When I grew up, they had the Cosmos and all those things. LA oh. and the whole thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Georgia Canalia and all these great soccer players here domestically. But that all blew up when I got older. And so, um, you know, when I graduated college, quite frankly, I was thinking about law school. And that's where my head was at. And I had an incredible opportunity to be invited into this business in my late 20s. And I jumped at it and uh, uh, to have turned back since, Corey. I love it. One other question looking back, what was the first deal you could think of of any type? It could be something, you know, small when you were much younger or something in, during your career. You know, not a sale, but any, any kind of deal that you can remember. You know, I've always been kind of a serial entrepreneur sorts, right? Like I remember, and my dad instilled this in me, quite frankly, but wanted something as a, as a child, you know, my dad, as opposed to saying, Hey, you know, Here's money, go get that bike, go get that skateboard, go get that, you know, that, that matchbox, whatever it was. Here's a lawnmower, there's neighbors, go knock on doors, right? right? And so if I needed 30 bucks for something, I would say, okay, $5 a lawn, I need to cut six lawns and there's my 30 bucks, right? And so I kind of had that, had that in my system since I was a, since I was a child. And I think it's, it's still there today, quite frankly, in a, in a lot of different ways. I love it. Yeah, it's it's not the mo of immigrant families to say when when a kid says I need money for something to say here's the money. That, that 
that's not, it's not the way it goes. <laughs> no, no, it certainly is not. And, and it's not like I wanted for anything, right? I mean, my mom and dad, uh, we grew up you know, probably lower middle class, if I'm being perfectly honest, as I reflect on today, but yep. you know, it's an, it was an incredible upbringing, but I think my dad put a lot of bones in me, quite frankly, as to how to go out there and go get it and go get what you want. And, and you know, here we are today, you know, which has been, it's been, it's been an awesome, an awesome learning trajectory for sure, Corey. That's for sure. I love it. So, so listen, you spent, you know, a couple of decades, whatever it was in the wirehouse world. And then, uh, you, you, you know, you and your partners launched uh, ProSound Partners. And one of the things that, you know, that struck me about, because obviously, you know, again, I mentioned I was fortunate enough to have been, been involved and helped you. And one of the things that struck me was, you know, you guys were sort of the classic newer wave of breakaways in that, you know, I've been doing this for 20 something years in this industry. And, you know, the early breakaways were often, you know, smaller practices that came out with a practice mentality and, you know, just wanted to not, not have a boss and become sort of self-employed and run their own clients. And, but really the evolution of, you know, you guys are really a um, great example of the evolution of the industry because, you know, you guys came out with a growth mentality from day one. You know, it's one of the things that I loved about working with you. I love working with people with growth mentalities. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, just even the motivation. I mean, you know, we, we all know when people leave you know, in the breakaway movement, when people leave white houses, there's usually two factors, What right? There's the things that they're running from, they both want to get out and away from. And then there are the things maybe, you know, that I think with the best firms that they're also moving towards. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, your thinking and your partner's thinking at that time and sort of what I interpret to be this, you know, sort of growth mentality from day one. Yeah, Corey. So Quite frankly, the wirehouses, uh, we did exceptionally well within those, within the context of a wirehouse, right? Yeah. What we did quite, quite well was take our specialization within retirement consulting, which was a huge specialization back at the wires for us. And we went around and we essentially wholesaled, if you will, that, that specialization to other FAs across the country. Yeah. Uh, and it was immensely successful. The problem is uh, for us is that we we outgrew the, the the confines of a of a wire, quite frankly, and and no disrespect to the wires, right? They're they're great for a lot of people, it just wasn't great for us. Yep. You know, we had a lot of moving parts and a large team, and it was getting very frustrating, you know, to be managed the way that we were being managed. And so, you know, for us, it was time to do something different and to see what we can do out there in the marketplace when you take off the training wheels, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's been an exciting journey for the last five years for sure. But, you know, in the beginning, we felt as though we were kids in a candy candy store to some degree, right? Because when you own your own business, and you know this, Corey, right? When you own your own business, you can do whatever you like, right? And and you have to sit back and pause a little bit and say, well, hold on a second, right? We're drinking through a fire hose here. Let's figure this all out, right? And and determine what's best for our clients and best for our business. And I think, you know, we've done a really good job doing that over the last five years, but it was, it was a, a refreshing and very free move once we, once we uh, flip the switches to the pro procyon lights, that's for sure. Uh, so let, let's talk about this. So one of the early, you know, one of the things that we uh, say on this podcast, I talk about all kinds of deals and it's not just M&A and raising capital, but it's also, you know, strategic alliances and joint ventures and all kinds of stuff. And one of the early decisions that you made was to, you know, do it, do a deal and, 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 and work with Dynasty Financial Partners, right? And we all know when, when people, and, and listen, we have listeners, we have many, many RA industry listeners on this podcast, but it's not exclusive to that. So we have folks outside the industry as well. And so listeners, you know, when, when, so when these breakaway teams make this move, they have various options. They can actually just tuck in and join an existing firm or an independent broker dealer. They can go fully on their own or they can partner with certain strategic partners. <laughs> 
any industry and dynasty financial partners is certainly a, you know, one of the major players, uh, in my mind, that was the first kind of deal that you guys decided to do was to do a deal with dynasty. Talk to me a little bit about that decision. And obviously you're still there now, five years later. So, you know, and I happen to know uh, some of the things that have happened. So it seems like it's working out. Yeah. We have a great relationship with dynasty today. And I will tell you back in January of 17, as we were considering all of our options back then as to what direction to go. I think the part, the founding partners and I decided that we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. And it's not as if you can do this twice. Right. I mean, you're, you know, it's scary for your clients to go from a wirehouse place potentially into this new place when you're launching it. Right. It's different. Like when people join us today, Corey, it's very different. They're typing into a massive operation. We, we know everything about everything. It's no problem. But we were literally trying to figure out how to make the coffee, right? While we're bringing in clockets, right? Five years ago. I mean, obviously I say that in jest, right? But that's the reality of it all, right? And so given that context, we, we want to make sure that we didn't go down a road or miss something that we should have taken care of. And, and what Dynasty still is to this day, exceptional at, they do a lot of things very, very well, but what, what they were exceptional at is the transitional process. And, uh, you know, they, they, in very detailed form, got us to a place where we were able to affect a unbelievable transition back in June of 17. And, and that was very comforting for us, right? And, and, and the bit, the obviously relationship has evolved now over five years, but that was a, that was a big, big, big lift for us as we, as we went from, you know, FA in a box type of thing from a warehouse into what's your box? What, what do you, what do you want your box to look like? Let's remind that. And you know, that there's a lot of different answers to that. And Dynasty help us curtail the right answers, quite frankly. Yeah. And listen, there are so many moving pieces, right? Like you said, I mean, you know, the box contains everything from office space to branding, to technology, to compliance, to, you know, a transition, actual, you know, client transition, TAM services, whatever it is, you know. So, you know, so much to, to worry about and, and, and you guys obviously having a big institutional, you know, you know, so moving institutional clients is different than moving, um, individual clients, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And quite frankly, you know, because of our large block of business in the institutional world, some publicly traded companies and the like, we had to make sure that we dialed in every possible scenario that we, that we could possibly think of. There's just a lot to think about. And I reflect on that decision today. And I will tell you that was the right decision for us at the time. And, and I, I don't regret that in a, in a minute. It was because the transition went exceptionally well. And here we are today, still with our partnership with Dynasty. And it's, it's, it's going very, very well. That's great. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about this sort of growth mentality, because even before and we're going to get to an M&A deal that you did, but even before that, I mean, you've also, you've done advisor onboarding deals. You know, I consider that a deal as well. That's something we, we help a lot of advisors, you know, in terms of growth. And, you know, so you've had your, you know, you've had your organic growth. I mean, one of the reasons why you guys have done so well is that you've used many of the tools, right? And one of the things I talk about in this podcast a lot is that, you know, many companies spend all the time, whether they're in this industry, other industries, whatever it is, focusing on organic growth. And you know what? You should have organic growth. I mean, I, uh, you know, ideally you're getting more, more customers and clients and, you know, referrals and doing your, you, you know, your sales and marketing and business development or whatever it is. And you guys have done that really, really well. In addition to that, however, you've grown inorganically. And one of the ways you've grown inorganically is by adding advisors through, you know, really just onboarding some key, key people. You want to talk about Let's literally go back to the beginning, like, you know, because my impression of you and your partners from day one is that 
And it's not just an impression. I know we talked about it, right? One of the things we do with class we talk about is what is the plan? What is the future? We, we create the equity structure and capital structure anticipating that. That's so right. I know this was not, you know, this was in the plans from day one. So when I had you guys coming out saying, hey, this is one of the ways we want to grow. We want to add key people and we're going to, you know, create an environment and a platform, like you said, you know, where these folks can, can you know, can tuck in and help us grow and also, you, can, you know, help them grow in their careers. Yeah. So Corey, I think the firm made a couple of very strategic decisions early on. While the triggers do that proverbial fire hose, right? Number one, we stayed very, very focused on organic growth, right? Gain of wall chair and new clients, right? And we, we, we mark those metrics every month, every quarter, every year, right? And, and our firm is bonus based upon some of those growth metrics, right? So everyone's all in on that, right? And it's a very important piece of the puzzle, quite frankly. And it keeps us very engaged. So you aligned your comp structure with the goals and values of the firm uh, on that side, which really makes sense. Well, 100%, because we want everyone all in, right? And so FA's responsibilities is to go out there and bring in new clients and bring in, you know, gain wallet share. And so our, our engine, which is, I always call the Rolls Royce, their job is to make sure the FA's are spending a disproportionate amount of their time on that stuff. Yeah. And they should be taking on the things that they can do, right? And so if, if you align if you line the compensation and you lie the values accordingly, you have a winning system there, I think, right? But, but going back to FAs, you know, I think as we reflected on our launch, we knew that we were, we were going to a better place, right? And we, we had to think, it, it wasn't rocket science for us to determine that if we felt like that, there had to be others that felt just the same. Right. And what was surprising for us, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, is that we thought there would be a lot more wirehouse FAs raising their hands to join. And instead, we had a lot of RIAs wanting to join. And so what's very interesting that we found very, very quickly is that in the RIA community, which is incredible, very collegiate, and it's, it's, it's awesome, quite frankly. No, it's, they compete, but in a very nice way, right? It's very, very nice. But what's happening there is that a lot of RIAs, very gifted RIAs, okay, and FAs within them, they plateaued because they're spending so much time on the business, they can't see, they can't see through it, right, Corey? Yes. So we've been lucky enough to be in conversations with a few of those FAs, and we're able to bring them into our firm and let them focus on the things that make their world much, much better. Right. And so that's been awesome. We could talk more granularly about that if you choose. But another decision that we made earlier on, which I think is is very different than a lot of other firms like ours that are tucking in and, and doing MA transactions. And that is for us, it's one team, one dream. And what I mean by that is early on, we had the opportunity to bring in other FAs where we would take a 15% or some sort of slice at the top. And it would be, you know, it would be Corey Wealth Management powered by Procyon, right? Okay, that's one way to go. I know there's a lot of great firms that are doing it that way, right? We decided that we didn't want to go that way. We wanted everyone to be on the mainland. We didn't want an island type of orientation or Frankenstein type of orientation across the country. We want everyone to be kind of on the mainland and fighting toward one dream that we all rode the boat to. And, and, you know, it's not for everybody, but... When we find the right people, it's incredible. It really is incredible for, for every party in the, at the firm, quite frankly. Love it. Love it. So, all right. So let's, you know, you, you mentioned delving into these a little bit more. So we all know that, listen, competition, I mean, in the general economy now, you hear about this, everybody's looking for talent, right? It's hard to find good people. 
certainly in this industry, especially at that level, you know, between entry and very seasoned advisors, right? The industry has generally done poor job, frankly, many, many of, and this is including in the independent space, you know, of having that, uh, that th those, you know, that G2, that middle generation, you know, advisor, you guys, you know, that's, that's some of what you've, I mean, you had people on the team already, but that's also some of what you've gained through these, uh, you know, onboarding deals and you've done it. Well, in fact, better than most in my mind. What do you think you've done that other firms aren't doing, you know, that has made you attractive to these kind of advisors, you know, who are, you know, who have a lot of options out there, but you've done pretty well competitively on that. Yeah. Listen, I think our messaging is authentic and I think that we deliver beyond expectations, right? And so I think there's a lot of uh, firms out there that tell you a lot and promise you a lot and deliver uh, not, not as much. Right. And I think we're just the opposite, right? We're going to lay it down for you as a potential tuck into our firm, exactly how it's going to go. And our goal is to exceed that. Right. Versus tell you that we think it's going to happen this way and not deliver. Right. Because there's too much at risk for both of us. Right. And for us, we want to take an FA or team and think about them in, the, in a way like you would any other business. Right. So you're a million dollar FA, you're a five million dollar team, what have you. How do we get to $2 million and $10 million? What do we need to do? And then take the resources and the, and the amazing talent of the front and infiltrate within those teams or within that FA and help them, right? So they're not out there on their own trying to figure this out, Corey, because they have a close on business card now. We're in there with them, figuring out with them as to how to build, how to double their market share or how to lower uh, their client load, right? Uh, so they can focus on the, on the higher rank client market share that they want to. Yeah. And so, you know, we are actively involved with RFAs and I think that's a big distinction for us versus smaller out there. Yeah, and, and you know, you guys really have built such a, you know, to back that up in addition to, I mean, you talked about, you know, you focused on two things or a few things which I think are really important. It's just the philosophy, you know, and approach which you back up, right? It's not just words, the training and commitment to, to people's growth. And then you also have a machine that you built. And I, I mean that in a good way, right? You have an infrastructure, you have, you have people, you have back office. We talked about your relationship with Dynasty, but you internally also have built at Procyon just, you know, such a, you know, platform. And you alluded to that before, right? It's very different. I mean, when you guys left and were creating something from nothing, the people who joined you are in a very different position. Because they're joining, a, you know, an established system with great people and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you've done a yeah. great job at that. Yeah, there's no, and purposefully, right? We've done, we've done it that way. And so, you know, we have a lot of CFPs that join our firm, right? And so, you know, those people, by definition, can do their own financial planning, right? Awesome. Great. We have a planning department, right? Because again, if you go back to what we talked about earlier, right? We want RFAs to be out there doing what they do best, being with clients, being with new clients, right? Yes, they can, they can certainly review the ultimate plan, right? But for them to spend the time and, and actually put in the work to develop a plan, it doesn't seem to be the right use of their time, right? And so, and again, if you, if you just pay attention to those types of nuances at, at, while you're building a firm, you, you can allow people to spend most of their time doing the things that only they should be doing, right? And if you do that consistently, guess what? You're going to have a pretty, a pretty efficient and a pretty effective firm. And that's what's happening at Procyon. And, and the planning department is just one 
nuance to that. I mean, the analysts, the traders, everything else that we do, right? But all of it is to, is to meet RFAs head on and say, go do you, right? We got everything else. We got literally everything else. Yeah, listen, listeners of this podcast know that Phil is now talking about something I preach regularly, which I often call highest and best use, right? The ideal scenario is everybody at the firm, certainly, you know, at the highest levels, but ideally, you know, as, as far down as you can go, is in their highest and best use areas. And for me, that means it's stuff they're great at, they love to do, and it's highly leveraged, makes a difference, moves the needle for the firm and to them. So, you know, that's really what Phil's talking about here. And 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 uh, I think that's such a key to success. And and frankly, a lot of a lot of companies don't do it so well. And you guys have, you know, have really done that very, very well. And, and listen, it takes a lot to execute at the exceptional level that we do, right? It doesn't happen by accident. You need amazingly talented people that are, are can be leaders within your firm, non-partners, but leaders in your firm that will take accountability for the ultimate deliverables to our precious FAs and clients, quite frankly, right? And so there's a lot there. It, do, it doesn't happen by accident, Corey. And it, it takes a lot of work, but you know, if you, if you, if you hire the right people and you give them the right motivation and not just, not just comp, that's whatever. Right. But I'm talking about the ability to make decisions, ability to, to actually, you know, lead something and work with something that, that they can build and create a lot of great stuff that happen by virtue of that. Right. And so we allow people beyond FAs to spread their wings too within the organization as to, Hey, What's your skill set, right? You don't want to be an FA, great. Do you want to be PM? Do you want to be chief planner? What do you want to do, right? Let's figure that out. And, and we allow that team also to obviously spread their wings and go get their, go get their Zen as well. Love it, love it. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right. So now let, let's go to a significant M&A deal that you guys did. And, uh, you know, which again, we were fortunate to, right. to help you with. So prior to this, deal, I mean, when you guys came out, you, you had both institutional and private wealth, you know, ultra high net worth, you know, high net worth individuals and families. And, but, you know, and there was a bigger concentration, at least at that point. And I know through some of the other things we talked about, you expanded the other areas, you know, but in the institutional side, and over time, you you grew in these other various ways, but then you did what I, you know, what what is was a significant deal that's worked out really well for you guys. Let's talk about that a little bit. What had you look at the pivotal, you know, deal? Obviously, we don't have to get into specific business terms, but you had a very, I won't even preview it. Like, you know, there's a way you did this deal that, you know, helped you, your firm grow. And it, it certainly wasn't just writing some people a check, you know, for some clients, right? So talk talk about the deal. Yeah. And then quite frankly, it wasn't that at all, right? Transaction was so meaningful to, I think, both Pivotal and the Pivotal Partners and Procyon. But what was awesome about it is that both of us didn't need each other at the time that we affected the transaction. Yes. Right? And I think that's powerful as, a, as an underscore to the transaction, right? Because there was no, it wasn't need-based. It was, what if we did this? What would happen, right? And that was kind of the cool part of the conversation, right? And both of us, I think, were at a place in our respective RIAs that we need to add some infrastructure. 
And we were lucky enough to have worked with the Pivotal Gang for a couple of years prior on some institutional deals. And so we had some deal flow together. We're working together as it was, it was exceptional people. I mean, great, great, great business, great clients, great guys and gals, right? So culturally, we knew that there was a lot there, right? Which is a hard part for us, right? Because we, listen, we're, we like to hang with our, with our team, right? We're the Procyon family, right? And you gotta be, you know, the cultural stuff is important for us, right? And we kind of nailed that really early out with the Pivotal Gang. But what was awesome about it was, again, they didn't need us. We didn't need them. We brought them a very keen specialization within the institutional consulting world and everything. And, and quite frankly, the infrastructure support, right? And kind of managing the business a little bit more than, than they would have liked to, right? Because I, I think they're exceptional at what they do, which is out there working with clients and, 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 and the guys in particular want to build a family office, right? And this allowed them the opportunity to kind of springboard and go do that in a very robust way, right? And so it's been an incredible transaction for us. And, and as we look back at it now, it's been what, a year and change. So it, it was a year back in May. It's been, it's been a creative both to the pivotal legacy gang and to, to Procyon. And, and the way that we look at a transaction, that's the ultimate win, right? Where it was done for the right reasons. You look back on a year hence and it, it worked out for everybody, right? And the firm is bigger and better because of it. And, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier about that transaction. Yeah. And this wasn't technically structured as a merger, but, but effectively from a business point of view, it was a merger of, you know, of, of two firms, right. You know, you, you gain more partners, every, you know, and people were staying on, right. So, I mean, you really brought together two firms in a way that made something bigger and better, right? There's no question. And it was, I, I think that the pivotal gang made some really big boy decisions, right? And it's tough to do sometimes, you know, John Marshall, who, who was, was involved with that firm from the get go, right? And then ultimately Michael Desmond, Michael Kelly and James, right? James Dibber. But John ran that thing, right? He, he, he built it with the guys, of course, but you know, he was there in the beginning. He was a CEO. And so to, to join a firm and, and recognize that I'm the CEO of this firm, but I'm going to bolt out to this larger firm, relinquish that title because it's better for our firm and better for our clients and better for the enterprise now called Procyon. That's a big boy decision. So I'm very proud of John and Michael and James and Michael for making a decision like that because a lot of guys and gals that have their name on the wall and the title accordingly, you know, might not make the same decision, right? But they look, they looked at it exactly the right way. And, and here they are today, you know, part of a monster firm uh, that I know they're excited to be a part of. And listen, yeah, I mean, another way to be able to put aside your ego and listen, all of us who are successful in business have some level of ego, right? And it's, uh, you know, in a positive way, you know, and, and it's, you know, to put a, uh, you know, aside that ego and make that decision, that's like you said, best for the, for, you know, for the, for the team, best for the clients, you know, talk to, talk to a little more about how the Pivotal, like what was attractive for you guys about Pivotal in terms of how they rounded out your offering? I mean, like, I, although I said you guys came out with a growth mentality, I also know that you are smart enough not to grow just for growth's sake, right? It's strategic growth. So what was the strategic benefits that Pivotal brought to Procyon? Yeah, so I think there were a couple of things there. Number one, they, they wanted to go after a little higher end market. Right. And, and, and not that we were not going into that market necessarily. Right. But they had a keen focus on developing family office. Right. And not family office could have a billion dollars, Corey. That's not what we're going after. Right. 
we're talking about family offices, people that are worth, you know, 50 to $100 million, right? That have 20 to 50, $75 million to invest, right? That are getting kicked in the face by some of these wires that have family office, right? We want to be able to fully support them and give them all the bells and whistles, right? And I think that was very strategically important for our firm as we looked at our private client base, number one. And number two, because the founding partners at Procyon were, a lot of us were involved with running the business, it was nice to be able to look at the Pivotal Gang as a sales force of sorts, right? They're exceptional people out there that know how to play in traffic really, really well. And so, you know, you add that, you add that fuel to a, to a fire like ours and an engine like ours, and you got something there that could be pretty cool. And I think that they in turn needed a infrastructure that was dialed in, you know, a Rolls Royce of sorts, you know, with multiple support systems for their, for, for, for what they perceive to be their growth rate. And so it, it worked on multiple fronts and, and, and that's, what's kind of been excited about it. And that's why I said it was, it was a win-win on paper and it, and it turned out to be a tremendous win for all of us as we reflect on a year hence. No question. And listen, to me, I'm not saying anybody's going to do a case study, but, for, but having been involved and in seeing the, the, you know, the evolution of it, it is a great case study because, you know, so many of the deals nowadays are being done by the big aggregators, right? And that's a whole different play. You know, I mean, uh, I was at the DeVoe conference recently. They were talking about 91% of the deals in the industry are being done by, you know, these 15 or 20 big aggregators. And, and the play there is... is Big money or equity for an, uh, an orbit, you know, multiple arbitrage for an exit down the line. And, you know, it's a whole different thing than the kind of deal that you did. And, and I think what gets lost in this industry sometimes just because of the proliferation of private equity and those types of aggregated funded deals, there, there are still, because, because even 10% of the deals, and then I think this year it's actually going to be a higher percentage that's not done by the aggregators, but even like 10% of the total deals that are being done now are more deals than, we're done 10 years ago, total in this industry. Wow. So, there, so there's a decent number of deals that are still getting done on the individual, you know, I look at, you guys are looking to grow, but you're not one of those big funded platform aggregators who are just looking to you know, gain, gain share. And I'm not, I'm not putting them down. And like, like you said about the warehouses, there's room in this, in this space for all the different models, you know, or the, or the, or the models that take 15% and have a platform where you can come and go. You know, there, there's a reason why there's different models out there because they fit different people. But, you know, I think this is such a great example of a non, you know, funded aggregator deal that made so much sense to everybody involved and was so accretive to everybody and benefited the clients. Yeah. And Corey, you know, there's the aggregator model out there, which we personally what did not do and do not do, right? But we consider ourselves to be integrators. Yes. Right. That's what we do. And I will be honest with you. We say no to transactions way more than we say yes. Yep. And we're not doing three or four a quarter, right? We'll might do three or four a year, right? And that's a good year for us, right? Because again, for us, it takes a lot to figure out who's the right team and who's the right person to join the firm, yep. right? We launched, we launched a, a person out in Melville just a couple of weeks back who's doing exceptionally well. I can't tell you the name, but we have a launch coming this Friday, which will be ex exceptional, but... You know, that the deal on Friday that, that will close, that will transition us, that's been in the, that's been in the queue, not, not, not in the queue relative to transition, but we've been working in it for two years, two years, right? And so if you think about it, we're not, we're not just going to the cranks, right? You know, we got the right people, put them on the right seat in the bus and we're making it happen. And it's a very different model. And it's not for everybody either, right? But when we find the right person, it's, it's amazing for everybody.
And this is by, you know, by the time this airs, that Friday will have passed. So you probably look up what that, what that deal was. So it's, it's, yeah, that's great, Phil. And I, and I love to see your growth. You've also added, you know, because I know we very, you know, all the companies for you. you you've also continued to add other assets, right? You know, oh, other, yeah. other, so why don't you talk about that a little bit in general, but also how that affects your ability to recruit, do advisor onboarding and, you know, these M&A deals and tokens and whatever, because obviously, you know, increased capacity and scope of service is, is an attractive thing. I think the, the landscape's changing. I really do. Right. And planning and wealth management are core competency. No, no question. Right. But I think that clients want ultimately a different deliverable, especially the higher end clients. Right. And so for us, the, what we like to talk about all the time to our team is whether, whether we're at the kitchen table or the boardroom table, let's solve the needs of our clients. As opposed to going into a boardroom and talking about 401k and 401k only, how am I not talking about health insurance, right? Which is a large P&L item for the CFO, usually a pain in the butt, right? Let me solve for it, right? And in so doing, why don't I just take over your whole benefit schematic and an extra layer of, of staff that you don't have to pay for on your payroll and run this stuff for you because HR is not getting deployed with more resources, they're getting actually cut with less resources. And same thing, by the way, with the kitchen table, right? We're doing all this amazing work on the wealth management front. How are we not talking about taxes with them? How are we not doing that, right? How are we not looking at their deck pages, right? From a risk standpoint to make sure they have a proper umbrella policy that could take all their wealth away in one accident. And so, you know, the way that we're thinking about it is, and now we're, we're launching trust services, right? Which we'll launch in early 23. And so what we're trying to do is holistically serve our clients, period. We're not a wealth management firm. We're not a tax firm. We are a full service financial services firm. And I think FAs love it because they have all these shiny tools in their tool chest that they could pull out anytime they need it. And more often than not, just to have the ability to talk about it gives them an upper hand versus someone else in the marketplace. Yeah. So it's interesting, Phil, because, you know, some people may think, and, and it's largely true, that this deal journey for, for Procyon has been a walk in the park and they everything seems to be working. Yeah. And, you know, for the most part, it's actually true. You know, you've done great onboarding. You've done this key, you know, M&A deal. You've, you know, you, you, you've expanded services. You have, have this great relationship with Dynasty. You know, like everything's, everything's roses. But we, we all know, and anybody who does deals know, knows that there are challenges that come up and, they, and they're not just the challenges of looking at a lot of deals you got to reject. So talk a little bit about some of the things, not to tie up any particular deal, but you know, some of the things in general that, that are challenging about getting deals done or frustrating sometimes about getting deals done, because I want to give people a realistic picture, you know, because if it were easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. So let me, let me just start with the word. Let me just start with what you started with on that. And I'll talk about the frustrating part of deals a little bit or how to get deals done, I should say. I happen to have, and lucky enough to have, and humbled by the fact that I have amazing partners, right? So I don't have to do it all, right? My partners did for me, like the firm does for everyone else, allows us to focus on our, our niche, our, our, our special sauce, whatever that may be, right? And so as you look at our firm and look at the leadership of the firm, it's not a Phil Fiore, right? Or just the founding partners, right? It's a lot spread across the partnership of the firm and it allows the firm to execute at an exceptional level, right? So, you know, and that takes a lot of work too, right? That takes a lot of work to make sure that everyone 
is rowing the same way and at the same speed and and all that good stuff. But you know, it's a diverse it's diversifying the workload in such a way that you can actually make stuff happen in a very effective and efficient way, right? Relative to deals, we've learned the hard way sometimes, we've learned that you have to be able to walk away. Mm. Right. And it's hard to do. I will tell you what transactions I have in the books today. We've done 10 total since we've launched. Right. There's been times, and Corey, you've been on the other side of these phone calls where I'm like, if this doesn't happen in 24 hours, we're pulling the plug. Right. And that's just a reality of the scenario. Right. And I meet guys like you and, and other people in my life to say, settle down. This is going to be a great transaction. Right. So I know it's not going according to plan or the timing's not as what you want, but you know, look at the, uh, look at the other side of it. And, and that's, you know, it takes, a, it takes, it takes a little bit, quite frankly, right? Because we all, we all have plans that we want to execute at certain timelines. And sometimes these things don't go according to plan, right? That's for sure. And you need to be able to be a little bit more patient than I'm accustomed to, if I'm being perfectly honest, and be able to absorb a couple of blows that you, that you might not have calculated that you want to absorb. It could be timing blows, could be money blows, who, who knows, right? In order to get the deal done if you still want to do it. And if it, it, and if the deal goes against what you built in your models or value creation wise or otherwise, you have to be willing to say, no good, we're out. And I think we've done a good job in both being a little bit more patient than we would like more often than not and being able to pull the plug when we needed to. Yeah. And I, I love that distinction, right? Because deals can get emotional sometimes, uh, you know, they can get, they just, you know, they can get frustrating sometimes. And there are times when it's appropriate to say, Hey, wait, maybe this is not aligned, right? Maybe this is not the right cultural thing, or it's just, there's a reason it's too difficult. But then there are times also it could be external factors. I mean, I know we've had some deals where the other side has had some stuff going on unrelated to the deal that has slowed it down or they have attorneys on the other side that maybe don't move at the pace we want, or, you know, there's a million things that can come up in, in these various deals. We've seen it, you know, I think doing 10 deals, you've seen a little bit of it all, you know, and, and that ability to distinguish between where it's just something that the deal is still fundamentally good. And it's something that's just some other external factor that's slowing it down versus this versus, you know, something that as you reevaluate the deal, right. You know, I think that's the distinction your drawing. And I think you've done a good job. Ultimately, it hasn't always been fun or easy in the moment for you, but you've done a great job in making those distinctions. Yeah. And I think, listen, I'm, I'm willing and enabled to have very serious heart to heart conversations with the deal leader on the other side yeah. as to whether or not we're in the right place and we're going to, you know, affect this the way we want to affect it or not. Right. And I think, you know, ignorance isn't bliss in deal structuring and deal making. Right. And I think you need to be honest and you need to be able to sit across the table and have a big boy conversation, right? With someone across the table. And I think a lot of people are scared of that because they're worried about hurting the deal. Well, I'm worried about hurting the front, right? That's what I care about, right? If the deal breaks, the deal breaks, then it's meant to break. That's the way we think about it, right? And I think that's, you know, that's part of the learning curve that we've established over the last five years, right? Is, is being able to make those decisions, protect the front. Yeah, no, I mean, and listen, the thing that's sometimes hard to see in the moment, but it's true is that a bad deal is a bad deal for everyone, right? Like it's not, you know, it's not good for the buyer. It's not good for the seller. It's not good for the firm. not good for the, what are you going to face? Like, like, so to have those tough conversations or really make sure that there's that alignment up front benefits everybody, not to mention, obviously, ultimately the clients, which is one of the big reasons why you and your partners establish your own firm to start with is to have that, you know, that 
create the client experience you want to create for them, right? So you don't want to mess that up. Yeah, no, Corey, no doubt. And I think that a lot of people that are doing transactions get caught up in the, in the headline number, right? The marketing, the PR, all the stuff, the interviews that come after that, right? What we think about before we do a transaction is the downflow, the downflow workflow of that transaction. What happens in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year, two years, three years, right? And we're very cognizant of, of all those various hurdles we have to hit. And if something's not going right in the if something's not going right in the beginning, there's going to be a lot of other issues that you're going to have to deal with in 30, 60, 90 days, right? And right, and so you're, you're almost better off. You're almost better off reflecting as to whether or not this transaction truly makes sense before you before you walk down the proverbial wedding aisle. Love it. All right. So before I get to my final two questions, is there anything else you know in this uh, five year growth and plus uh, growth and deal journey that uh, you think would be valuable and any lessons, any, any things to watch out for, any tips uh, that come to mind that I haven't asked you about? Uh, listen, I'm not sure there's tips, right? I, I, I don't think we're doing anything that hasn't been done in the marketplace. I think we do it differently, right? I, I think the one thing that we do exceptionally well, I mean exceptionally well, is we execute. And I, and I think a lot of people in, in this world, they want to do it because it's cool to talk about and it's fun to talk about. It may be sexy for some people, right? But they're not ready to execute. And you, you don't have the ability to not execute on a transaction multiple times. Right. You do that once and it's all, that's it. You're no longer a deal maker, right? And so we spent a lot of time making sure that our piping and our infrastructure is built to execute at an exceptional level. And I think that's, that's a little different than some out there, right? And so if people want to get involved with this, which is amazingly fun and, and I really thoroughly enjoyed as an entrepreneur, you have to make sure that you can execute at the end of the grade because people are walking away from their careers and their books of business for a minute to come to you, the promise of rebuilding it, right? And maybe even bigger and better, right? But there's a minute that they're walking away from it. It's zero for a minute, right? And you have to make sure that you have the ability to rebuild that in a way that makes, that protects their family and protects that FA. And I think we've done that exceptionally well. Yeah, no question, Phil. And, and listen, folks, for those of you in the industry, you know, ProSound Partners, you know, it, it, it's funny, us attorneys, investment bankers, consultants, anybody who's really been in this space for a long time, you know, talk about how many of our clients, how many people in the industry, how many firms in the industry say they're buyers, right? Everybody wants to be a buyer almost, right? And, and the truth is most of them are not. And that's not like, I'm not looking to put anybody down or whatever. It's just that if you are an independent firm, you know, you're not a funded aggregator that's built with a team that for the purpose of doing that, it's not easy to pull off, right? And you might like to do it, but, but what makes you attractive to potential, there's so much competition out there, right? I always ask people, well, what is your value proposition to an FA who wants to join you to a firm that, you know, might want to talk into you or merge or be acquired, right? What makes you, what makes you different and caring about your clients and having great people is not enough, right? You know, like everybody, nobody's, nobody doesn't at least claim they have that, right? So there are frankly only so many firms like Procyon that have figured this out in a way that really makes sense. And so they are one of the real non aggregator, private equity funded aggregator, one of the real integrators, right? Out there. And, you know, so, you know, you should definitely take a look at them if you are a successful FA or team, you know, or, or firm that is looking for you know, a bigger opportunity in a place that has a great culture. And I love these guys because 
for me, yes, growth mentality is, is important because I'm always fun working with growth folks. Like, like Phil said, I'm that ability to execute and do it in a way that keeps the culture, you know, really successful. And, 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 and also they have, you know, I, I love, you know, they have a great time, whether it's the golf outings or whatever. I always see pictures of, of, of his team doing stuff together and having fun. So, uh, you know, for me, uh, Phil, you, you and your partners and the whole team have really, really figured it out in a way that a lot of, a lot of firms haven't. Appreciate that very much coming from you, Corey. That does mean a lot to us and we work exceptionally hard at it. Right. It might, it might appear to be easy five years hence, but there's a lot of blessed wind tears that we deliver even, even to this day. And, but the difference is we're doing it for us. We're doing it for our firm, our, you know, this is our business. There are sweat and tears, right? We're not doing it for some other person that's making the decisions for us. And so it's, it's, it's incredible. Awesome. Thank awesome. you. So before I ask you my final question, just where can people find out more about Procyon? Yeah, they can always go to our website, right? Procyonpartners.net. They can certainly call me, Phil Fiore. I would love to talk to anyone, Corey, that listens to you and, and whether it's to help them figure out uh, the deal construct and then how to think about deals or if they ever want to join or think about joining a firm like Procyon, I'd love to do that as well. So yeah, but uh, for your audience, we want to be a resource. So uh, our pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. So Phil, my final question of the podcast is always about my highest ideal in life, which is freedom. And to me, that means everything from freedom from all people in the world from oppression to why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Yeah, listen, freedom for me is knowing that I can continue to allow my mind and allow my energy to work in the way it needs to work, right? I, I felt very much confined in a box a little bit intellectually, right? And what was interesting is that it, when I was in the wires, I found myself investing in a bunch of these private equities on the side, OBAs, right? Yeah. Because for me, it was a way to kind of enjoy that creative spirit, right? Now as an entrepreneur, Corey, I'm able to open up those blinders in my mind and my energy and my emotion, right? And, and allow that free thinking and that free spirit to just go. Obviously, check with my partners, make sure we're, we're doing it right. But that's been very freeing for, for me personally, and quite frankly, immensely enjoyable. So I, I finally got to light the, the spirit of entrepreneurship in my soul that I hadn't been able to light in the wirehouse properly. And so it's, it burns very, very bright. And I, I'm looking forward to, for it to get a lot larger. That's for sure. Love it. Phil Fiore, thank you so much for being a great client and friend and guest on the Deal Quest podcast. You're the best, Corey. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.